Clickbait Weekly, where we get together every Thursday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time. And that's important today because our guest is from the East Coast. This is one of the few national platforms where we interview attorneys and providers across the country to learn not just the networking and what works in other states, but the principles of building a successful probate business. So I'm Bill Gross, and we're excited to have Samantha Fitzgerald, who is a probate estate planning family attorney in Pleasanton, Florida, South Florida. And I'm having some audio issues because I'm at a convention that I had to come to. So I'm going to talk a little less today, but we're really lucky because Samantha is an expert on the topic. Samantha, thank, thank you so much for joining us today. Oh, my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. So Thanks give me a little background on your practice. Your, it's your practice, your sole practitioner with your staff. Describe kind of what your focus is and what you do on a day-to-day -day basis. Sure, absolutely. So I am the founder of SJF Law Group. Um, there's nine of us here. So we have four attorneys and the rest are staff and legal professionals. And we focus 100% on probate and trust administration and estate planning, all transactional, no litigation. So everybody's either happy or dead here in our office. Um, and slight correction, we're in Plantation, Florida, which is near Fort Lauderdale. It's a little west of Fort Lauderdale. So we're in South Florida. And, um, you know, we're growing, growing, growing. So um, there's lots of people dying in this area and uh, lots of people who need planning done because they're going to die. So we one are of the things, busy. I'm sorry. One of the things as real estate agents, we often get asked for introductions to attorneys. And a lot of, not only a lot of attorneys, a lot of types of attorneys. One of the things I was struck with when I, after I had met you and researched your website, for example, is that you seem exclusively focused on probate and avoiding probate, estate planning, and related issues. So just kind of describe for me your decision to focus on what you focus on. That is true. That That is all we do here. Um, so I'd say over my career, I've been practicing for 24 years and I started off with what I thought I was a tax attorney. So I I'm uh, have an accounting degree, I have a CPA license, and I got an LLM in tax, and I always wanted to be a tax attorney. So my first real job being a tax attorney, we did a lot of tax stuff, lots and lots of IRS work, but also structuring and all sorts of tax stuff. But we also did a lot of business structuring, shareholders agreements and operating agreements, and a lot of estate planning and a lot of probate and trust administration. And in 2011, I left that firm and I went out on my own and I realized that was way too much stuff to do because it was a bigger firm. It was it was too much to, to, you know, do all by myself. And I realized what I really loved to do was the estate planning and the probate and trust administration. So I really just narrowed my practice down. I've always been doing this and just narrowed it down to what I really like to do. And um, we love it. We really, really love it um, because we are helping people. So either on the, the estate planning, pre-death side, we're helping people prepare these really, really, really important documents. And it's a it's a big weight off of them, you know, because a lot of everybody knows they need this, or at least some people know they need this. Um, and, you know, you procrastinate doing these things. And so once somebody comes in and they finally sign their documents, they feel great, you know, that they've done this. And um, 
on the other side, when something needs to be administered, whether it's a probate administration or they've taken some steps to avoid probate and they have assets in a trust, that still needs to be administered. So we help them through that process. And it's very scary for people to have to deal with a court or the legal process. Oftentimes, it's the very first time that they've ever had to deal with lawyers or a court system. So it's it's daunting to them and it's scary. And um, so we love helping them through that process. And one of the things that we're really good at is that we're very quick and efficient. So we really try to get the, the case and the client to the finish line as soon as possible in the best way possible. And um, we're really good with communication. So um, everybody's pretty happy along the way. So it sounds like real estate in that we want to move quick and quick gets us the solution the customer wants more quickly. What are some of the procedures or processes or systems you have to help you consistently be quicker than the average attorney? So, and you're right, it is very, very similar, right? And it's a win-win for everybody because the realtors make the money when they close and the client's happy because they're getting their home or they're getting their money after they've sold a home or property. Um, so it, it seems like it's common sense, right? That everybody would move quickly. But in my area, lawyers are slow. They're really, really slow, especially in probate because it tends to be the retirement practice area because it's a nice practice. So a lot of attorneys will kind of veer over to this area as they get older and they don't want to litigate and they don't want to you know, deal with whatever practice area they were doing. So a lot of people are really, really slow. Um, and I hear a lot of complaints. So we're the opposite. So we love technology. We really, really embrace technology. So we have a lot of software and systems that we utilize to stay on top of our cases, um, creating checklists and um, automatic triggers and um, tasks and reminders that will help us stay on top of the cases and to move them along. We communicate a lot with the clients. We have a lot of internal processes that we've developed over the years on staying in touch with the clients and keeping them abreast of their case. So for instance, if a client had asked us a question along uh, during, during the, the case, that's the same question that a lot of other clients are gonna have. So we then tie that into our automatic. We like to be in front of the client. Before the client asks us a question, we like to provide the information to them. So we have a lot of standard emails that we, you know, modify and tweak per the client, but we have them ready to go because we know as soon as, for instance, somebody's appointed as personal representative, we want to let them know right away. And we want to let them know all the things that are going to happen next. So we try to anticipate their questions and um, provide the information before they ask. We have a lot of like FAQs that we hand out to the client before they even get started things that people have asked us, the same questions, you know, what do I do with the decedent's mail? Can I sell the property? When can I sell the property? These are all standard common questions that everybody's going to have. So we really try to um, provide that information before they can even ask us. We have um, the staff is, is very on top of the communications with the client. So we were timely respond to emails. We pick up the phone when, when clients call, we speak to them. 
Um, we have a live person answering the phone. Um, I don't know what it's like in other parts of the country, but in Florida, it's very common to call a law office and you're going to get dial one for this attorney, dial two for that attorney, or leave a message and we'll call you back. We don't do any of that. You know, we have a live person answering. So whatever problem the client has, you know, they can direct it to the person that can help them. We text with the clients. We have like an internal texting system. So most people like to text these days. Um, it's very handy for them. People are inundated with emails. So the texting is very, very helpful. Um, so and anything that we can think of that will help facilitate the communication with the clients and the moving the case along and keeping things organized, um, we, we utilize. I also have very, very organized staff. A lot of them are a little borderline OCD. Um, they like to keep things color coded. Um, they, their desks are very neat. So um, I just kind of got lucky in hiring the right people that really keep things organized and, and like to be efficient and quick with their stuff. So that definitely helps. So when I train real estate agents, they often get frustrated with attorneys because realtor time is usually, you expect a phone call back in like a minute <laughs> or 10 minutes. And attorneys, generally, if you get called back the next day, that's pretty good. The same week, like attorneys will call you back. I'm sure you experienced this. They'll call you back like four days later and say they return your phone call. And I'll be like, what is he talking about? But you obviously move more quickly, and I, I picked up that right away. Where's the fine line between a real estate agent helping you by pushing a little bit, following up, stassing, and being a pest? Where do you see that line? You know, we rarely work with realtors that have to push us along. That, that that doesn't really happen because if they need something from us, we're going to get it to them. It's all very similar. You know, so if, if a property is being sold and it's in a probate administration or a trust administration, we know what they need. So when they're asking for stuff, it's not unusual stuff. We, we know what it's going to be. They're going to send us a title commitment. We're going to look on it. We're going to see what they're asking for and we're going to address it. It's our client too. So we have a vested interest in it from a, a few um so we're on the same team you know and really my paralegal does most of the work, honestly. So she's she's super on top of everything. So I think that's important for some attorneys. You know, if the attorney has to be the one constantly returning somebody's call, it's going to take longer. My schedule is much, much more busy than my paralegals because I have meetings all day long. You know, I meet with the actual clients. She's here doing work. So it's easier for her to, to get back to somebody. So, you know, we always require that, the clients copy the paralegal on all communications because they're going to get a response faster. I might not even be able to check my emails until, you know, the end of the day or the next morning sometimes. Um, so the paralegal is, is the first line of defense and a good paralegal. So, um, yeah, we don't really have, um, I'd say, you know, if a realtor needs something, so if they're saying, you know, 
the title company needs a death certificate or a copy of the will, they shouldn't have to keep asking for that. They should ask for that once and probably get it within, you know, our time is a little different than realtor time. I'm not going to say we respond in a minute, um, but, you know, they shouldn't have to, it shouldn't take more than a day to get something like that. And then it also depends on when is the closing. You know, if the closing is today, then, you know, they, they need to pick up the phone and call and say, hey, you know, we need this right now. I also think the best practice is develop the relationship with a paralegal because ultimately that's who you're going to get it from. I don't care yeah. how much you like me. You're going to turn to the paralegal and tell her, her him or her to email to me or text it to me. So I better request it from them and copy you as a courtesy. Yeah. And that's something you have to learn as a real estate agent is how the workflow works and then make that as efficient as possible for everybody. Definitely. For sure. Um, I'm there to to handle problems, to, you know, look at legal issues, um, handle complex questions from the client. But my in a in a probate case, the paralegal is the top dog and they're they're the ones moving the case along. So let's talk a little bit about business development. I think realtors mistakenly assume that attorneys sit in their office with real estate listings that they hand out. Mm -hmm like their gold doubloons. And in reality, I imagine a portion of your business comes from real estate agents who have clients who need help and they bring them to you. What percentage of your business comes from a real estate agent or something similar to that where the realtor's already involved in the deal before you get involved? Sometimes it's it's not a high percentage of our cases at all because what happens is it's an interesting that the the property will almost be to closing and then they realize somebody's dead which is odd to me because you think that you would check the title or you know we can just pull up the deed online and see if you know who's on the deed um i don't i guess the people bringing it to the realtor don't aren't really forthcoming and say like you know somebody's dead um so sometimes we get cases that way um but it's probably more so that we're giving cases to the realtors, um, but not every single probate case that has property, you know, is going to a realtor because sometimes they're keeping right. the property. And then other times the clients have a relationship with the realtor, especially if they live locally, you know, everybody knows a realtor. Sometimes they're obligated to use a family member, which is not a great idea. Um, and other times there's somebody, um, you know, like we have a lot of communities in Florida. So oftentimes there's a realtor that kind of specializes in that community and they are typically in the best position possible to sell the property because they're really familiar with it. Um, but yeah, I mean, in our particular practice, we do probably refer more to realtors than we get from realtors. So but some of my colleagues, is... I'll just qualify that some of my colleagues get a, a significant portion of their probate cases from realtors just because they are focusing on realtors and title companies and and um i guess you know doing business development with them more so than i am well we're gonna work on getting you some more business from our realtors because <laughs> you're the kind of attorney we like to work with so on that what should a real estate agent do to make themselves valuable enough to you that you'd want to work with them versus some other real estate agent so based upon our experience, I would say um, being proactive, um, being familiar with the probate process, 
um, and realistic about you know court approvals and things that we might need to get you know not giving unrealistic unrealistic expectations to their client or the buyer um being responsive one and of listening the things and I... listening to us you know so if we say something you know it's that's you know they should typically accept what we're saying unless we're not sure now you're licensed in florida are you exclusively in florida as far as your practice yes just florida but we do so, we do work throughout the entire state okay so big state in uh, a lot of different markets one of the things i can't get my head around is that when you write a contract in florida to sell a property or list it or buy it there's no preset probate addendum. In California, we have an addendum for listing. We have an addendum that we use for a purchase contract and an advisor on top of all that. And it spells everything out. And I know that your process in Florida isn't as particular and as detailed, but how they don't have any custom form I don't understand. There's nobody sue anybody in Florida. That can't be. Mm -hmm. So when you have a, a state selling a property, are there any disclosures or disclaimers that you recommend them to add to the contract to protect them? Or you just don't need that in Florida? I suppose it would be nice if there was a standard addendum because not all realtors are the same. It's not that's probably not my area of expertise but i don't think it's required but certainly recommended to put some language in there um when you're going to closing you just the the proper party needs to have the authority to to sell the property and that's it um it kind of depends on the circumstances of what you're going to need what documentation you're going to need in order to sell sometimes the property the the probate's not even started yet so it's definitely a good idea to to put it in the listing agreement even not even the contract but the listing agreement the the posting you know so that the buyers come understanding that this property has to go through probate and court uh court authority might be required and it's going to take a little bit longer you know than than normal um but you know by the time we go to closing we're going to have to provide whatever necessary documents are required by the the underwriter so um whether that's in the contract or not that has to happen it's just like you're talking greek because i can't imagine that in california maybe it's because we're litigists maybe it's people in florida are just nicer people i mm. used to live there i think that's part of it but um okay i'm, I'm gonna move on and get off that subject do you have standard verbiage that you recommend for agents to put into the list agreement or put in the multiple listing service to disclose and and protect them so the, the 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 protecting part is um i don't know that that's um i don't know if that's the word i would use necessarily but you know they um the contracts are in the name of the estate so it's right in the contract it's saying like you know john smith is personal representative of the estate of is selling so it's it's right there it's known like who's selling um and then we just say you know this this is uh subject to any court approval necessary 
That's well, about all, all you need. You live in a different world. I'm just telling you, it's like you're speaking Martian to me. I get the words are English. That's not how we live at all. Um, but that's a different culture, I think, is part of it. Yeah. So, so, so what is required in, in California to sell? Well, 90% of the cases don't need court approval. Oh, okay. But even those need a notice of proposed action that gets filed and any heir or creditor theoretically could object to the sale oh. and force a hearing, theoretically. Mm -hmm. So there's that process. And I, as an attorney, attorney, though, maybe again, you're in Florida, we would say, well, if that's possible, we should disclose that so that if it happens, they can't hold us responsible. Um, another one is when court approvals needed, it's a very cumbersome process in Los Angeles. For example, we had a hearing on the 28th of September of October, and we still have the judge's signature on the order to close escrow, hmm. even though the paper's been sitting there for you know uh, how many days. So the disclosure protects my seller because we lay that off. We can't rush the judge. You know, we have to follow the process. Um, the buyers may or may not read it. My job as the realtor is to protect my client, not the other client. So I do try to educate them. And that's why I do this training to help educate people. But it's a, it's a, just a, maybe a different world as far as litigation in California. I don't, I, I don't really understand that it's that different. But okay, I guess it is. Well, that um, definitely sounds like a very different process than here. Here in Florida, the personal representative has authority to proceed without court order in general. That's that's like where the starting point. With real estate, they can't sell without a court without court authority unless there's a will and the power to sell the property is in the will. But if they have a will and the power is in there, then they can proceed without any court authority unless the court says otherwise. So there are some counties that it's kind of like their standard practice that they they restrict the powers of the personal representative from doing anything without court approval. So if you're in that county, like Miami-Dade is one of those, if you're in that county, you're gonna have to get court approval for any sort of sale of any asset. But other counties are, are much more lenient. Um, the homestead, so the, the primary residence here is a little bit different, but other than that, um, the personal representative has broad authority to sell without beneficiary consent or approval. Now, some courts by their own procedures might require it. So if we are getting a, a court order to sell, then we're going to get a, a consents from the beneficiaries. However, if they don't consent for whatever reason, um, we can just simply send them a notice through the court, give them appropriate amount of time to object and then sell. So it's it's not that cumbersome here. Sounds similar process here. I just think I just think we just have more attorneys and more quicker to on the draw to litigate. I think I I, it, I don't want to belabor the point. It's just is is different. Um, so let's talk about avoiding probate because you do estate planning as well, and most probate actions are the result of poor planning, right? Yeah. So in Florida, does somebody who own a home need to do a estate plan to avoid probate? Or does homestead avoid probate? Or do wills avoid probate? 
what's the, like in California, I would say anybody who owns a house should have an estate plan to avoid probate. What's the process in Florida? Yeah, similar. So we, I'm going to touch upon Homestead because that's a, a funny little asset that we have here. So your primary residence in Florida is what we call Homestead. And it's amazing, but has a lot of strings attached to it. So your homestead is protected from your creditor claims. So only certain creditors like your mortgage, real estate taxes, uh, a, a worker's lien, something like that, they can go after your, your primary residence. But basically nobody else can while you're alive or after you're dead. So if you die and you owe a million dollars to creditors, your home, your primary residence passes to your heirs, not subject to any of those creditors. So it's an amazing asset, but it comes with a lot of strings. So technically your homestead is not a probate asset, but it has to go through the probate process for the court to declare it to be homestead. So you have to file a petition to determine homestead status, the court signs an order. Once they sign that order, it functions like a deed and title transfers right out of the probate. So as soon as the, the order is entered, it's not in the probate anymore. Um, but we have to get there first. So yes, yeah, so if you die and you have any sort of real estate in Florida, it's going through the probate process. Unless, of course, it's jointly owned with somebody else with a right of survivorship and they're still alive. Or you've done some sort of life estate deed. Um, or it's in a trust. So that's where the, the estate planning comes into the picture. And we see a lot where people will own property jointly with somebody else, but it's not with rights of survivorship. So that's where I see a lot of flaws on the side of the realtors. We, of course, don't see that happening. We see it after the fact, but um, I don't think there's a lot of discussion with the realtors about how they wanna take title, the differences in the different ways they can take title or taxes. Now, I know it's not the realtor's job to discuss taxes, but if they were really good, they would spot an issue and at least tell the, the client that you need to go speak to a tax professional. Because we have a lot of foreigners in Florida, probably similar in California. And there's a lot of tax issues surrounding foreigners owning real estate in the United States that people, you know, they buy these properties and they have no counseling whatsoever. And um, there's a, a huge tax potentially when they die. And then of course, when, if they sell while they're alive, you know, they're subject to FERPTA rules, but when they die owning that property, there's only a $60,000 exemption for the federal estate tax and anything over that, they're gonna pay estate tax unless they're coming from a, a treaty country. Oh, so what I was going to say is I see a lot when people own property jointly as tenants in common, not as joint tenants with the right of survivorship. So when one joint owner dies, their share has to go through the probate process. And it can be really sticky because sometimes it's, you know, they don't even know who those heirs are. And the other joint owner can't really drive that ship forward because they might not be an heir or a beneficiary. And they're going to have to come out of pocket to do the probate administration, hire the lawyer, and simply really to clear title. Um, and then sometimes these 
situations, these structures go on for years. So somebody died, but somebody else is still living in the property. So nothing happened. Five, 10 years later, they wake up and they realize they need to do something. And the, the heirs who that half would have passed to have also died. That we see a lot. Now you've got multiple probates going on, more legal expenses, very, very messy. So in, in California, we had the opportunity to get a preliminary title report as soon as we take the listing. And I think the best practice is get that, review that, and get started on what you need to do to clear ahead of time. And I'm sure in Florida it's the same case. You just need to, to ask for it and push a little bit. Um, I know having lived in Florida, Florida, you have you mentioned a lot of people in a lot of international, and you also have a lot of people who relocate from other states. I know that Florida is the sixth borough of New York, for example, having lived there in uh, Boca Raton. Um, so talk a little bit about planning where people have plans done elsewhere, done in other states, and then move to Florida. They may not have anticipated this new property in Florida uh, or from other countries. They have some sort of estate plan. How important is it for them to review that when they move to Florida if the plan is to, let's say, live and finish out in Florida? Super important to have somebody review it. Sometimes nothing needs to be done. It might all be fine. Your out-of-state documents are valid here in Florida, as long as they were validly executed in your home state. But the things in your home state. Uh oh, now we need your feedback. Uh oh, now we need your feedback. I think I got it now. Okay. Okay. Testing, testing. That's better. Um, so some of the things that we have seen. So first of all, of course, you just want somebody to review them and make sure everything looks good. Because just because somebody prepared them doesn't mean they're good just in general. But a couple of problems that we've seen um, relate to powers of attorney. So in Florida, a power of attorney must be executed the same way a deed would be executed. And that requires two witnesses and a notary. The notary can be one of the witnesses, but you need to have three signatures on that paper. So in order to use a power of attorney in Florida for real estate, it must be executed the same way as we execute them here, two witnesses and a notary. It seems to be kind of common in other states where they're just notarized, no witnesses. So if you move to Florida, although your power of attorney is effectively valid here, you can't use it to transfer real estate. So that's a big one. Powers of attorney are so, 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 so important. Um, another big thing I've seen is when people move here and they have prenups or postnuptial agreements, because we have this funky thing called homestead, which most other places don't have. And certainly you're not anticipating Florida homestead, you know, if you're living in another state. One of the, the strings on homestead are the restrictions on transfer or devise. So you cannot transfer your property or encumber your property without your spouse's consent while you're alive. You also cannot devise your homestead to anybody other than your spouse. Um, and if you have minor children, you can't devise it to anybody. So I've seen where people have prenups or postnup agreements and they've they've waived rights to each other's property, 
but the homestead is not specifically referenced. It may fly, it may not fly. It depends on the, the underwriter and the title company. Um, you certainly don't want to be in that situation. If you have already waived rights to each other's property, you do not want to be in a situation where it's very easy for the title company to just say, hmm, get court approval or go through probate. You know, because they're there to protect themselves, obviously. So you definitely don't want to be in that situation. So if you move to Florida and you have a pre or post nuptial agreement, absolutely get that reviewed and probably modified to add in any homestead waivers. Um, the other documents where we see um, trouble is usually the will. Um, we have a self-proving process here in Florida. It doesn't mean that the will is invalid. So as long as it was validly executed wherever it was, it's going to be valid here in Florida. But we do have this process called self-proving. So if your will is not self-proved, meaning in, it's different in different states, but in Florida, we have this we have your signature pages, but then you have this extra signature page where everybody signs again and it's notarized. And the notary also notarizes the witnesses' signatures. It doesn't have to be done exactly like we do in Florida, but if it's not self-proved, then we have to go through an extra process in Florida to get it um, admitted to the court, to get the will admitted to the court. The other thing I would say is, you know, when you're moving just practically, people misplace documents and wills are the type of thing that last for a long, 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 long time. I met with clients yesterday and their documents were 30 years old. Um, we are very much still a paper state in Florida. Your original will is really, really important. The law presumes that your will has been revoked if you don't have the original inked version. Wow. So if we can't find that original, we have problems. And so if, if you've named beneficiaries in your will that are the same people that would take anyway, you know, your spouse, your kids, whatever, it's not that big a deal. But if it's different people, it's a really, really big deal. So keep that original document someplace safe. If you move and you don't have, you can't locate that original will, redo them. Do you store documents for clients with the wills or estate planning documents? We do. Most lawyers don't. Some lawyers do. A lot of lawyers don't. I can understand why. I mean, we have five fireproof cabinets here that are very expensive and they seem to get filled up in the blink of an eye. Um, we had a practice where we held on to the original will, trust, and power of attorney, because um, in Florida, you do need an original power of attorney if you're using that um, to transact business with the real estate, because we do e-record everything now, but the, the power of attorney needs to be recorded if you're going to use it to transfer real estate. Um, and you're supposed to have the original document in front of you if you are e-recording something. So that original power of attorney can be important. For everything else, a copy of the power of attorney works just fine. So says the statutes. Um, so for a while, we were keeping all three documents. Um, our cabinets have filled up way too quickly. Um, I've literally never been asked for an original trust my entire practice. So we have um, now recently decided not to hold on to those originals, and we will just be retaining the original will. Um, we have found in our practice that if we don't hold the original will, the clients do terrible things with them. Sometimes they write on them. They definitely lose them. 
They don't know where they put them. Um, sometimes they put them in safe deposit boxes, which is good in the sense that, you know, maybe you can find it and you know where it is. But safe deposit boxes are a bear to get into. They are really difficult. And unless you know exactly which branch the box is at, they're really not easy to find these days. And, you know, you have a little key, doesn't disclose the name of the bank. It's very, very, very challenging. And if you if the heirs don't live in Florida, how are they getting to that box? And then they have to travel to Florida to hopefully find the box, to open the box, to get the will. Um, they safe deposit boxes. My my advice to clients is always close them. So that's not where I want my clients putting their original will. So we do, um, we feel it is it's better for the clients. And we are really all about, you know, full service. And that doesn't end when our clients sign their documents and leave our office. We are their lawyers for life. So we feel it's in their best interest if we hold on to those original wills. Um, plus, you know, it, it maintains the relationship with the client. You know, it's not like, here you go, here's your documents, bye, you know, have a good life, you're on your own. No, you know, we're their lawyers and we have a responsibility to them. I think that's such an important level of service for attorneys. And, you know, I, I asked that question because most don't. And I know you did. We talked about it. And I want to highlight that, that if I'm a realtor in Florida and I'm going to refer my customer to you, what good does it do if they walk out the door with a, the world's best will and they can't find it? What, what did yeah. we just do for the customer? We took their money and we got paid. But what we didn't do is help the customer effectuate the documents they went there for. And so I think that's such an important distinction that I'm glad you, you brought up. So I know that oftentimes people come to you not knowing what they need to do is part of your intake process consultative like do people pay for an hour of consult do you do a 15 minute brief consult how do they go from i have a problem to a solution yeah we do a 30 minute consultation for the estate for both sides really the estate planning and the probate but the probate tends to go over the 30 minutes just because we have to get to the root of the problem um, but on the estate planning side, we do a 30 minute consultation and we have a folder of documents um, that we provide to the client. We've, again, similar to probate where we've anticipated the questions. So we have um, handouts for them that summarize everything we're talking about in the consultation, um, try to give them as, as much information as we can there, um, provide them that folder. Um, we do charge. So we charge um, $300 for our consultations because they're going to get a lot of information. And oftentimes people are leaving saying, wow, I didn't know that, you know, because a lot of people come in and say, I need a will. Sometimes people come in and say, I need a trust. But a lot of times they come in, they say, I need a will. Um, and then throughout that process, we're explaining so many things that they didn't know, um, you know, healthcare surrogate designations durable powers of attorney. So, 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 so important. You do not want to be a party to a guardianship. It is the worst thing possible. But they also think, you know, they come in for a will and then we explain that a will does not keep them out of probate. So a will is nice, but sometimes it literally does nothing. Sometimes it could change things tremendously, just a simple will, but it does not keep your estate out of probate. That is a really, really tough concept for most people to understand. They also think that the will has some sort of a, 
effect on its own, which it doesn't. So people will say, well, I'm trying to do X, Y, Z, and I'm the personal representative. No, you're not the personal representative because there's no probate opened and you have not been appointed by the court to be the personal representative. So you are a name on a piece of paper. That's it. It has no authority whatsoever. That's the biggest misconception. I have a very good friend who was an attorney, who was an attorney he's not practicing now, who when I told him I was doing probate real estate, said to me, oh yeah, we can avoid probate with a will. I said, no, the opposite, actually. A will will guarantee you're in probate at best, right? If I know you have a will, either we're going to use the will in probate or we're going to fight the will in probate or you lost the will in probate, but you're going to probate court. There's no way around it unless you have an estate plan that will help you avoid it typically with a some sort of a trust. And so that's you are right on. That's the biggest misconception with consumers, with realtors, and even attorneys that don't practice in your field who don't know that. Uh, and I think once they understand... It is more involved than just writing a will. Yes, anybody can write a will, but that's not what you need to solve the problems you're trying to solve. So, well, look, um, I, I've enjoyed talking to you. I, I enjoyed talking to you previously. You and I could talk forever. I just had to apologize to everybody watching today. I am out of my office today for a convention, so the audio's a little funky and the computer's a little funky, uh, but uh, Samantha did a great job because she's she's so knowledgeable and expert on this topic that it really, you made it very pleasant under these difficult circumstances. Um, Samantha is SF Law in Pl Plantation, Florida, and I think you're, the best website. Here, I'm gonna. Is, can I put my stuff in the? I'll just put my contact please. info if anybody has questions in the chat. We'll uh, put it in the description as well. If you watch this on YouTube or LinkedIn or Facebook afterwards, we'll have it there for you. And it's estateandprobatelawyer.com is the website in Plantation, Florida. You can't get a hold of her. Feel free to reach out to me. I'd be glad to afford you make the introduction. Uh, and she said that she doesn't get most of your business from realtors. I can't believe that any realtor in the state of Florida who has a customer that needs a state plan or has some sort of a succession and real estate issue that might involve probate, uh, she'd be a fantastic resource for you. That's why I brought you on the call today. FYI, we, we just expanded into Florida. I hired a team leader uh, who's in Tampa. So we're, we're working on somebody down in Southeast Florida. And by the way, I'm going to be in Southeast Florida myself next week. I bring my family to uh, vacation in um, uh, Surfside. So I uh, love Florida, uh, but I really appreciate your time today, Samantha. Thank you so much for your education. I think you're really clear. I think you have really high standards that I know as a realtor, I appreciate. I work with bad realtors, or bad attorneys and good ones. I'd much rather work with a good one. So thank you so much for making time for us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. This was super fun. And if anybody ever has any questions, any needs in Florida, feel free to reach out to us. We're happy to help answer questions, give you some guidance. Um, we can we can help people anywhere in the entire state. We have a probate practice and an estate planning practice because we have a remote uh, service process. So anywhere in Florida, happy to answer questions anytime. And thanks so much for this opportunity. I love educating people. Um, we have a YouTube channel as well, where we post lots of video content, just trying to educate people. And I think it's really important. And um, wherever you live, you should definitely have your estate planning documents done. It's really important. Well, thanks. You know, I saw, that's how I saw you on your YouTube channel. You know, there's a the movie, My Cousin Vinny, I think every attorney, you, you have to see it to pass the bar. And there's a scene where one of the two cousins stands up and said to the attorney, you're fired. I want you as my attorney. I remember watching the YouTube and I had that reaction. I saw you and said, no, that's the lady I want to have represent my clients, uh, state planning and probate in Florida. So thank you again. Appreciate thank your you. education. Your YouTube channel is great. Look forward to working with you in the future as well.
Thanks a lot. Safe travels. Thank you. And for the rest of you, this is Probit Weekly. We do this every Thursday, 4 p.m. Pacific time, 7, 7 p.m. Eastern. We live stream it on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn. A little wonky today on mine. I'm sorry for that. I thought we had it handled, uh, but, you know, it is the nature of technology. Appreciate having you guys. If you, I can help in any way. I'm at Bill Gross Probate on uh, YouTube and social media. Have a fantastic week. Uh, on Thursday next week, which is Thanksgiving, we're going to play a best of videos. So if you want to watch it, love to have you do that. But we're not going to be live. We'll be back in two weeks with another great uh, legal process. Thank you so much, everybody. Have a great week.